Jesse. How's it going? I'm good, Katie, but I have a uh, unfortunate story for you about worlds colliding. Uh-oh, what happened? There's a friend of mine I hadn't seen in years because of the pandemic, and he lives out west. I already don't believe you. <laughs> friend, pretty pretty unlikely. Does a dog whistle. So he was visiting New York with his girlfriend, who he's been with a while. I'd never met her. Very nice to meet her. Uh, met her and her friend uh, at a wine bar. We get dinner. We get pasta. Everything's going well. And then suddenly, a Twitter fight erupts at our table. An actual Twitter fight in person? A 3D Twitter fight? An in-person 3D flesh and blood Twitter fight. Somehow, I don't know, I really don't remember how this happened. I don't think it was me. I wouldn't do this. Somehow, Kyle Rittenhouse and the Tom Cotton op-ed both came up. Oh, no. (laughs) My friend and I uh, were more or less on one side of these debates. These, uh, his girlfriend and her friend were on the other sides, but they were like, They were nice people, but they were so visibly disgusted that we disagreed with them. Like the level of just sheer contempt. And the other thing was (laughs) they didn't happen to know any of the details of either incident. They didn't know what was, they didn't know what was in the column. They didn't know what Kyle Rittenhouse did or didn't do. And I, Oh, I'm super shocked. Well, the way he, the, the first mention of him was that racist kid. Did they think that he killed, that he killed some black people? As we've, yes, as we've said, they, they, they just, in my view, I'm of course biased observer here. They did not really have a grasp on the facts, and I was trying, like I was a little bit drunk. I was trying not to be condescending, but I was like, I've I've looked into this a lot. Like this was something we've talked about. Um, so things get heated. They're mostly heated because of their abject disgust that people disagree with them. Um, and again, these are very nice people who I had like no problem with, and I, I like my friend's girlfriend especially. But anyway, we it just the conversation evolves it's a little bit heated uh, a lot of 2020 stuff comes up they they also the this is i think the key divide among the left on this they work the idea that there was like significant looting and rioting and damage in 2020 that was like asking them to believe in the easter bunny it just it just did not process and you sort of needed that to even cuz from their point of view this racist kid Kyle Rittenhouse went to Kenosha for no reason cuz he just wanted to kill black people i guess he wasn't good at finding the black people because he only killed white people but you know he killed somebody who said he killed a white guy who was screaming the n-word that is an act of (laughs) anti-racism this effectively ended when uh the conversation gets to 2020 and it gets to racial essentialism comes up and i basically explain like and again i'm trying to be very gentle and charitable here I explained that like one of the things that got me about the the discourse, the reckoning, whatever you want to call it, is like a lot of white liberals um, were claiming to speak for black people on issues like defunding the police and abolishing the police. I went there and uh, and these are not policy proposals that the vast majority, you know, we're oversimplifying when we talk about race, but at the level of survey data, there's very little appetite within the American black community for defunding or abolishing the police. I made this point. Uh, my friend's girlfriend's friend who's sitting next to me, he says, after I point out that black people are not in favor of these policies, the level of averages, he says, well, you know, that's uh, Uncle Tom syndrome. <laughs> I like, God. I fucking shit you not. I hope Camille Foster, I hope Camille Foster jumped out of a closet right then. <laughs> I honestly thought that like some of the rhetoric about like, well, you know, white liberals are the most racist. So I like, I think that's a little overblown and I had never encountered it in this manner but like holy shit man you're a like a well-off liberal white dude and you're saying that black people who disagree with you have uncle tom syndrome that was that like i this really i really get flustered in person but at that point i literally i was like 
oh, come on, man. You can't say that. I was trying to be friendly about it, but I had to like get up and, and go to the bathroom. Oh. And my, when, when, when I told some friends about this, they made fun of me that like when there was tension, I was like, I have to go to the bathroom now. <laughs> I have to go pee on myself. Um, this is why I no longer have dinner with people. <laughs> Dude, I have been <laughs> so good about avoiding in-person fights about politics are the dumbest shit ever. And the vast majority of the ones I've had have been with people to the right of me, uh, often over Israel. Cause like in the American Jewish community, there's, there's, but like, dude, I could not believe this kid said this. And these were not bad people. And I, again, I really like my friend's, uh, new girlfriend, but like uncle, you fucking saying uncle Tom syndrome. How is that acceptable? A new former girlfriend, maybe. It's no, no, they're fine. But it, it's just funny that they were socialized to believe all these things about Rittenhouse and about the, Tom caught an op-ed, but but they just the, the the blind spot he had that he didn't know that you can't call black people Uncle Toms. That's okay, but the I, yeah, it was a crazy dinner. Anyway, um, I'm gonna become an anti-racist trainer to prevent stuff like this. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. We should uh, maybe we should, we should maybe get into that grift ourselves. Oh my god, I, I hear it pays well. Very demoralizing. Katie, what is the name of this educational podcast? This is Blocked and Reported, and I'm Katie Herzog. And I'm Jesse Single, a, a newly disgusted Jesse Single. <laughs> All right. Today, we're going to talk about everyone's new uh, perpetual Twitter character of the day, Elon Musk, and what he's been up to. Looking forward to that. We're also going to talk about this uh, horrible Buffalo shooting and the question of whether it can be laid at the feet of a certain Fox host. But first, Katie. But first, we are talking about the Dearly Departed podcast, Reply All. A couple weeks ago, when uh, we were recording our primo show, uh, Jesse stopped in the middle of recording and had a little seizure. And puked, puked, every, projectile vomited everywhere. All over himself because he got some news that he desperately wanted to break. And unfortunately, we were not able to break it. But this week, The Verge did. And the news was, Jesse, do you want to do it? Yeah. Well, I mean, I had, I had got an email saying that Reply All was basically done. And uh, the way The Verge is reporting that this is that the, the co-hosts are stepping down. I guess they're more or less show, saying the show is like, I guess they're, I feel like they were non-committal about if the show was done. I had heard the show was done, and this 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 comports with the idea that the show is just done. But uh, yeah, Reply All, as we know it, is no more, although <laughs> it hasn't been as we know it for a while now. That's true. So The Verge published uh, an email, a memo that went out to Gimlet staff. I'll read a couple of important points here. Alex and Emmanuel have both made the decision to explore opportunities outside of Gimlet and will have more info to share on the future of Apply All soon. And then later, the decision to end this iteration of the show came from a desire of the host team to move on, and we hope that there is a future where a show about the internet that isn't actually about the internet can be reborn in Gimlet's library. So I'm not sure what that means about the future of Reply All as a brand, as a feed, um, but it, but Reply All as it is a as it currently exists in this sort of zombie form is dead. Um, we'll get into our sort of analysis of this memo in a minute. But Jesse, for people who haven't been following this story, do you want to give just like a two minute rundown of what the fuck happened at Reply All? Yeah, I mean, so Reply All was one of my favorite shows. I listened to it since it was called TLDR. Too long didn't read uh, for WNYC because. Um, 
Alex Goldman and PJ Vote, I believe, met as on the media interns, and they started this side project. and And Gimlet uh, brought them on board as Gimlet was launching, so they changed the name from TLDR to Reply All. This became like basically the tentpole podcast for uh, Gimlet as Gimlet launched, and then when Gimlet was acquired by Spotify, just an amazingly well done podcast. I, I think what I was jealous of was their range; like they had great banter, and you could just listen to them talk about internet nonsense all day. But they also did some really good like reporting. Um, I think the the episode they'll always be most famous for is this guy has just a chunk of a song stuck in his head. And PJ Vote goes to ridiculous lengths to figure out where the song's from, to recreate it. And um, it's like a, a, a mystery, a case of the missing hit, it's called. So I loved this show for a long time. And I think there was a sense as the reckoning unfolded that it had to sort of latch onto the moment a little. I think some Reply All fans... There's debate within the community of hardcore reply all fans on like uh, the the subreddit um, about whether it like quote unquote went woke. I, I think that's a little bit of an oversimplification. I think it very obviously tried to be more of the moment. There was some awkwardness that was right out in the open because they brought on a third co-host, Emmanuel Dotsi, who, uh, you know, as they're bringing him on, they're talking on air about the awkward optics of it. And uh, like, we're not yeah, because he's black. Yeah. Like, we're not just bringing you on because you're black. Um, it's just a very cringy. But we're also bringing you on because you're black. Right. It was very cringy audio that we we when we first talked about this, you can go back and listen to our, our coverage of it. And and the awkward thing about this is um, I think he was extremely shitty at this particular job. He came in having a lot of background as a reporter and he was very well regarded. I don't think anyone actually thinks that he was a good fit because this was a show based on two friends bantering. And I don't think that's what this guy is good at in much the same way. I don't think I would be good at like posting up at a courthouse and, and extracting amazing stories of people in the legal system. Do you think I'm being unfair here? I mean, it is a matter of taste, but he, his position in the show, like he was a race reporter within the show. So there were like small moments, like, yeah, at one point he was hosting a show where he just sort of offhandedly says that he's looking for stories and he wants to hear specifically from black people because he loves us. I think that was the exact quote. Just small moments like that where you're like, okay, this is a show. He loves us, meaning he loves them. Yes. Like we, he, like he loves black people. Us. <laughs> Clearly not us. He doesn't love you and us. Me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it just it became a show that was much more focused on social justice issues. Part of that, I think, was bringing Emmanuel on, but part of it was also just the moment this all happened around 2020, around the death of George Floyd. And the show did turn woker. It became a show more about social justice issues and race, as did almost every fucking liberal show in the media ec- ecosystem. You can you could pick out any NPR type podcast, not that Gimlin was an NPR show, This American Life, Fresh Air, listen the daily, maybe not the daily, probably the daily, just listen to any show. They all became on the media. They all became, they just turned, they pivoted in this way that some listeners appreciated and some didn't. Yeah. Well, I I think it's hard to quantum. Again, I, I, I think there's good faith debate about how much Reply All changed what it did episode to episode. I think there was some change, but I think what's undeniably true is that what the precipitating event for the meltdown was uh, an outgrowth of the reckoning and never would have happened if not for the reckoning. 
Yeah. So do you want to, Jesse, explain exactly what happened? Yeah. So um, Reply All launched what was going to be a four-part miniseries called Test Kitchen. Uh, this was hosted by Sruthi Pinamaneni, who's a very well-regarded and talented producer at uh, Gimlet, uh, who worked for Reply All. So this was going to be a, a four-part miniseries about the alleged uh, climate of, of racial insensitivity at Bon Appetit, you know, this this very trendy sort of uh, food empire, both the magazine and, and the video offerings. And, and and when you when you say racial insensitivity, you're talking about mostly microaggressions, right? I mean, things like... Well, I mean, that's the thing, it is is there were... The, the reporting uncovered, I think, one guy in particular who was a genuine asshole and it would say like, you know, racist dude bro things. There was a lot of accusations that, for example, it was harder to catch on there unless you had a certain like white person found at a the National Arcade Fire concert aesthetic and, and set of tastes. And in my view, the reporting sometimes suffered from from what a lot of reporting on race suffers from, which is not really talking about class as much, because I, I don't think a poor guy from Appalachia, Appalachia. would be able to catch on at that Bon Appetit. So Appalachia. No, it's Appalachia. It's I'm not Jesse, it's not. It's not it's not <laughs> <laughs> I we pronounce words however we want. It's a construct. <laughs> Appalachia. So the problem was they there were there were some. It was absolutely clear that this was not a place easy place to catch on as like a young wannabe chef from maybe a different kind of background, which is a huge problem in media in general. The extent to which it can boil down to race, I, I think, was questionable, and I don't think all of their um, examples really like were convincing. I'll never forget. Let me just read from my tweets about it. In part because some of Reply All's reporting on Bon Appetit was too credulous, at one point a young woman who is a third-generation Stanford grad, her mom and grandmother both went there, complains that after she was hired at Bon Appetit as an executive assistant, she was asked to clean up a conference room before a meeting, which is the sort of task sometimes delegated to an editorial assistant who has just graduated from college. So, a third generation Ivy Leaguer who's hired as an executive assistant and then asked to clean up a conference room, that's that's what you do in those initial jobs. You and I, I'm sure, have had to do, you know, the the editorial equivalent of that. And uh we hear on the show she wanted to be there like a diversity consultant, but instead they made her do the job she was hired for. To me, that that is like sort of a, a crying wolf thing that makes it harder to find incidents of of real racism. Similarly, I'm going to continue my tweet storm. Similarly, Adam Rappaport, um, superstar head of Bon Appetit, like the guy for a while before he <laughs> had a, an incident, uh, is fidgety at a meeting with staffers who want to capitalize the B in black. And then we hear he's fidgety in all meetings because of ADD. So again, it just it just doesn't. It, it seems like they were. Um, a little bit too credulous with some of these accusations. And that was reflected by the fact that they they said, Sruthi said, that they weren't going to put any white people on air during this series, right? Yeah. So they're doing a show about how Bon Appetit is racist. And not only do they not talk to any of the people who they are claiming are racist, just think about that for a second. You are making very serious allegations against people and you are not going to include their voices in the show because of the color of their skin, but you're not going to talk to anybody or you're not, you're not going to include the voices of anybody who isn't 
non-white. Yeah. Now, I do think they reached out that for... That is a co- bizarre editorial. Story. It is. I do think they reached out yeah. for comment, but they didn't put... Uh, of people specifically... It's not the features. same thing. It's not the same. And again, I'll, I'll just... I'll never forget the third generation Stanford grad unhappy that she wasn't allowed. Like, it's just... It's sort of silly. So two episodes into this four-episode arc, and, and I, I thought the episodes were pretty good. Like, I'm, I'm explaining why I didn't find all the claims credible, but there was some good reporting. I, I, I could identify with, like, how it would be tough to break in to this very competitive uh, area. Two episodes in, uh, Eric Eddings, a former Gimlet staffer who co-hosted a show called The Nod, does a giant tweet storm. Uh, we should say a like disgruntled Gimlet staffer. He he the, he and his co-host left Gimlet. They were not happy with the way that they left Gimlet. They brought their show to Kib- Quibby, Quibby, yeah. Appalachia, <laughs> Kibby. Quibi. Quibi. Uh Yes, Eric Eddings, he does a long tweet storm accusing PJ Vote and Shruti Pinamanini of uh, having the exact sort of, of, of contributing to the same climate they're reporting on uh, with Bon Appetit, basically saying, how can you accuse this other media organization of having these problems when you did all this shit? The problem is all this shit is like, you read Eric Eddings' tweet storm, it's just very hard to pin down exactly what Sruthi Pinamanini and PJ Vote did wrong. What it appears to be is that they initially were opposed to a unionization drive. And that unionization drive um, sort of took on the like pro-POC position because one of the goals was to make things more equitable and more fairer for younger staffers. You and I have both talked to people who know some of the details of this. The unionization thing there was sort of a mess and it was rendered more complicated by the fact that PJ Vote and Sruthi Pinamanini were earlier employees at Gimlet. They had equity. They probably just had sort of different priorities and goals and and desires than some of the much younger, newer staffers. That's not to say they were right to oppose a union or that the, the union is complicated. But they, the point is, no one can point to exactly what they did um, that would justify the firestorm that followed. And that firestorm was a bunch of journalists and everyone else in the media world echoing and disseminating Eric Eddings' claims that this had been a really bad culture at Gimlet, uh, despite the fact that there's not much evidence there. This leads to Sruthi Pinamanini and PJ Vote stepping down, posting apologies, and that was the last anyone heard from either of them at Gimlet. That was it. Yeah, until recently, PJ, I don't know what Sruthi's doing. PJ, just the last month or two, um, came out with his own show called Crypto Island, which has been pretty well received. I think it's pretty good myself. Um, that said, like uh, his the show that he started is now dead. So if they hadn't done this series, I mean, the, Reply All had gone through these other changes. There were They weren't producing content on a regular schedule anymore. Things had clearly started to slip, but regardless, if they hadn't done the Bon Appetit series, it's possible that the show would still exist. Now, instead, the two hosts have stepped away. We don't know in what form the the show will exist in the future, and there and you know there's this sort of fake transparency surrounding Reply All, like they after PJ stepped down, Alex came out and talked, had this sort of emotional talk about what it was like to to go through this, and to he had been you know all of his jobs in radio and in audio had been with PJ and then PJ was gone. But this this statement that they that Gimlet sent out to the staff, Alex and Emmanuel have both made the decision to explore opportunities outside of Gimlet. The decision to 
in this iteration of the show came from a desire of the host team to move on. Well, both of us are hearing from different people within the industry that this isn't actually what happened. So I'm, I'm going to be really careful about what I say here because we haven't confirmed this stuff. This is just based on rumors that we're hearing from different people within within this world. This idea that Alex is stepping away on his own accord because he wants to pursue other projects is not what we're hearing. Um, it seems as though there is much more internal turmoil, and that's uh, what I'm Can hearing. Can you my catchphrase? It's more complicated than that. <laughs> and that what I'm hearing is that Alex is not actually stepping down because he has other projects in mind, and that Emmanuel doesn't want to helm a sinking ship. Is does that line up with what you're hearing, Jesse? I know that it's 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 not true to say that they just like both independently chose to do other stuff. The show since the Bon Appetit thing, the show has come out so rarely and on such an inconsistent schedule and there's other stuff going on. This is one of those things where like you and I are like just reply, uh, relying on conversations with, with some folks who, who know stuff, but we haven't like done the full work of locking down the specifics. But yes, I think it's safe to say that the way Gimlet is presenting this is um, a real oversimplification of things that maybe makes... Um, it's a happy gloss. You know, yeah, it's a happy gloss. And this was not a well-functioning show. And everyone everyone knows that. Everyone knows stuff was going on. Yeah, and this is really bad for Gimlet. Spotify bought Gimlet for something like $230 million. And they've had very few hits. Reply All was one of the only hits. As uh, one person in the industry I spoke to told me, Reply All was the mother's milk that everyone else fed off of. Jesse, do you think we can talk about what we've heard about some of the new shows? Yeah, I mean, you and I have heard from from multiple people who would know that there's been Gimlet has attempted to launch these like prestige podcasts that are very of the moment that capture like the way <laughs> Gimlet executives or Spotify executives think we're supposed to talk about like race and justice and identity. And um, I think people will be familiar with this mode of talking about things. Uh, and they've dumped significant resources into these prestige podcasts. And these podcasts have absolutely fallen flat listeners wise. I The numbers that were told to me, I, my jaw genuinely dropped how few people are listening to some of these prestige properties that were very expensive to produce. And it just suggests a complete failure on the part of Gimlet to <laughs> produce stuff that people listen to, which is the entire goal. I mean, one of the major goals of having a podcast company, or at least if you want it to be a profitable one. And that was what Reply All did. And Reply All did, did it in a very authentic way without pandering, without trying to be of the moment. They just produced great audio that millions and millions of people listen to. And now that has all melted down for basically no reason. They should buy uh, Crypto Island, PJ's new show. They should buy Blockchain Reported. No, no. I don't, we have such a no. niche now. We already had some overlap. Absolutely not. We had some not. overlap with Reply All. Absolutely not. We are, no, I would hate. No, we would. We, our contract would say that any, uh, you know, you and I are both free speech folks, but but if criticizing us in this company Slack <laughs> is hate speech. Yeah. So they should be fired for that. You know, and I think there is, there is some a genuine question about whether or not some of these shows are failing because of the content of the shows. I think that's probably part of it. Or whether or not it's the fact that these shows are exclusive to Spotify, which does inherently limit the audience. Spotify is not, I think, a good listening experience for podcasts. I, for instance, used to occasionally listen to Joe Rogan. I never do it anymore because it requires Spotify. So that's probably part of the reason that some of these shows aren't catching on. And it's not just Gimlet shows. You know, the Obamas had podcasts that I think were basically flops. Uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. 
had a show. Apparently, they were they were paid twenty five million dollars from Spotify and produced like one and a half episodes. So <laughs> Wait, so really? Spotify, yeah. So Spotify's yeah. venture into podcasting may just have been a mistake. I mean, it clearly, like the one podcast, the one blockbuster podcast that they have is Joe Rogan, which is the one that all of their employees, their staff, wants to get shut down. <laughs> Yeah, I, I the numbers we saw would suggest that while the the um, platform monopoly issue might be an issue, that would not fully account for how low these numbers were. They were crazy. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, anyway, uh, that's definitely part of it. If you if you're not on like our podcast, I think the majority of our downloads come from um from Apple. Uh, I don't. I, I this is something I should know. But yeah, if it was just Spotify, we'd be in bad shape. But um. Yeah, I just I, this the whole thing was sort of like a how not to about how not to handle controversy, and it, I I said this on Twitter repeatedly, but the extent to which people in the media world, particularly those who I think were jealous of PJ Vote, immediately treated Eric Edding's account of this complicated issue as a hundred percent true without doing any reporting, and then the only guy who did any reporting for Vulture, Nick Qua, well, the Times did too. There, were, no one could figure out like this alleged harassment that went on that that Eddings referenced sort of obliquely. Like it, it just it was. I think he exaggerated certain elements of the story to make himself look good and to try to hurt PJ Vote and Shruti Pinamin. I think this whole thing was a fucking soap opera and it was handled horribly by everyone involved. Also, this is easy for me to say, but I, they just instantly apologizing is is never the right never. move unless you've done something very specifically wrong that you genuinely feel bad for. And I think they just felt pressure because like the the walls were collapsing around them. I wonder what Shruti's up to these days. Maybe we could hire her. I would fucking love. We need some actual talent on this show. <laughs> That's what's holding us back is we're just not good at this. Can you imagine blocking reported in the hands of capable co-hosts? No, I actually can't imagine that. <laughs> oh, wait. I Don't you think Alex, Alex yeah. Goldman will probably be gettable pretty soon? Yeah, he's probably pretty cheap at this point too. Um, anything else on this? No, I don't. I this was not surprising in the slightest. Like no, this knew. seemed very inevitable that this show is. It's you know it's too bad. Reply all when reply all was good. Reply all was the best. When reply was all best. was bad. Reply all was dog shit. And lately, it's been a lot of dog shit. We should. Uh, I'm always in the market for story ideas that are quirkier and not culture war related. So if you were going to send one of those to reply all, send it to us instead, and we'll uh, we'll make it about culture war stuff instead. <laughs> will do a much worse job of producing it than they would have. These weird dogs on the <laughs> internet are SJWs. <laughs> Look at these cuck dogs. All right. Should we move on to another cuck? Yes. Cucks, cucks, cucks. I can't talk, but yes. All right. As you may recall, a couple weeks ago, Elon Musk said that he is going to buy Twitter. He appears to be uh, possibly reneging on that. On May 13th, he tweeted that the deal is, quote, on hold until Twitter proves that less than 5% of their users are bots. And then right after that, he tweeted this insane thing. To find out, my team will do a random sample of 100 followers of Twitter. I invite others to repeat the same process and see what they discover. Jesse, does this seem like a valid way to calculate bots as our resident stats man? Completely. <laughs> That's exactly what I would... No, I, this is so... Okay, I... I he is so Trumpy in the way he tweets. Do you remember, like, we'd be engaged in some sort of, like, trade negotiations with China, and Trump would just sort of tweet through it, like, his every last thought. What What is he, on what planet do you publicly say, I'm not buying this company against unless XYZ? And then, yeah, a, a random sample of the people who follow Twitter would be worthless, because any 
huge attention getting account like Twitter probably attracts a huge number of bots. It, it wouldn't prove anything. Uh, yes, there's lots of speculation that he is doing this because he's either trying to drive down the stock price or scuttle the deal entirely. And it turns out, I read this in the New York Times, he apparently did absolutely no due diligence before offering to buy this company. for. Wait, what, what did he offer? How many billion dollars? I don't know. Just blurs earlier. I don't know. A made up amount. Right. But so this is this is People are speculating that this is his way of trying to get out of the deal. But we are not actually here to talk about that. We are here to talk about his political affiliation, which he announced this week naturally. And in a tweet, he said on May 18th, in the past, I I voted Democrat because they were mostly the kindness party, but they have become the party of division and hate, so I can no longer support them and will vote Republican. Jesse, what do you think about this? Fucking moron. I mean, this is is like the third graders understanding of politics totally the democrats were the kindness party they're not the kindness party anymore now i'm gonna okay because first of all the modern gop as we all know is the is the kindness party very kind i find donald trump to be very very kind that is what he is known for he's like the mr rogers of politics he's just a warm guy who you know wants to make sure muslims can't enter the country it's kindness it's the definition of kindness and I, he says grab him by the pussy with a smile I think what I think what Elon is doing is making a very juvenile but human mistake, which is like this a subset of this group got mad at me. It's like you're at playground in elementary school and the kids who hang out by the swing set are being mean to you. So you're like, fuck them. I'm gonna go hang out with the seesaw kids. But the seesaw kids are all like closet white nationalists, but you don't care because you're in third grade. Like there's no there's no logic to it. Not that you're saying that Republicans are are closet white nationalists. No, of course not. Uh no, not all of them. You are not Tali Eleven. I'm not Tali Eleven. No, I was. That was a poor example because, of course, Republicans have wonderful views on things like immigration and race. Um, they. My point is, I'm overstating it a little bit. This idea that you're going to switch your political parties, which should reflect your political beliefs, because people were mean to you on Twitter or because liberal outlets didn't cover you well, which I, I think you and I completely agree. A lot of the coverage and commentary about Musk has been stupid, but. That coverage and commentary has come from one very hysterical subset of liberals. The average Democratic voter or even the average Democratic rep probably does not have any very strong negative opinions about Elon Musk. It's the most superficial way to do politics, choosing who to vote based on who is mean to you on Twitter. That is not not politics. Politics is about policy. And there may be some very valid reasons to vote for Republicans if you want low taxes and not much of a social safety net and you want school choice and low regulation and free market solutions to, you know, climate change and clean air and shit like that. But A, Republicans are not the kindness party. That is ridiculous. They're also not the free speech party. No. Elon Musk has has made a big deal about how he how he is the he's the free speech guy. No, all over the country they're instituting bans on books and other educational material. I was just reading yesterday about how Josh Josh Hawley is now targeting Disney's copyright. Uh, Disney's like Mickey Mouse copyright because they're too woke. And regardless of how you feel about copyright protections, this is what he said. Thanks to special copyright protections from Congress, woke corporations like Disney have earned billions while increasingly pandering to woke activists. It's time to take away Disney's special privileges and open up a new era of creativity and innovation. Does Elon Musk, as a businessman, does he think that this is good for him? Like, does he actually think that Congress going after companies because of their politics is going to somehow benefit him? This is what Republicans are doing. He is conflating Twitter 
with policy. This is the James Lindsay school of politics, and it it shows an like utter lack of understanding about how politics works. I think that if Elon Musk likes experiments on Twitter, he should run a simple experiment to see if Republicans are the kindest party. He should tweet at right wing figures on Twitter and 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 Republican politicians that he thinks Donald Trump won the election mm-hmm. and that he doesn't think illegal immigration is like a huge issue that harms the economy. He should see how long the uh, the veneer of kindness maintains when you express those positions in conservative settings. Yeah, yeah. This is a dude who he thinks that Republicans are the kindest party because apparently he hasn't pissed off enough right-wingers on Twitter. As soon as you do that, you will see that. I mean, you've been attacked by both the right and the left. Which one's worse, Jesse? The left is worse just because they're like your people and they can harm you. Because you care. Yeah, because you right. care. The right is fucking... I, I did the most milquetoast joke about um, basically like European white nationalism, the idea of like this unified thing called white Europeans, which is ridiculous because for thousands of years, different kinds of white Europeans were killing each other over those differences. This launched like three days of the most dumb, attempting to be edgy, anti-Semitic bullshit over a very mild joke. I I do think you and I both think that there's a humorlessness problem on the left. In certain corners of the right, it's if anything worse. They really cannot take a joke, even a joke about like, oh no, I made fun of white European. It's just, it's, they're they're whiny babies. And if Elon Musk hasn't encountered that, it's just because he, you know, isn't tweeting about them. Dude, you should, if you want to see how kind the right is, just tweet that Cuties was a great movie. (laughs) (laughs) That's, the biggest issue with the Republican policy. Yeah. Okay, so besides the fact that he's wrong and he is wrong about this, it's just, I think this does illustrate the problem with the two-party system because like you hate one party because they're mean to you on Twitter, so what are your options? You know, you just go to the other one even if they even though they suck too. And then so so Elon he he follows up his tweet announcing that he uh that he's joining the Republican party with this. He says now watch their dirty tricks campaign against me unfold. And then what might he be talking about? Well, the next day, Business Insider published a piece claiming that Elon exposed himself to a flight attendant on his plane and then offered to buy her a horse if she would do sex stuff with him, which I got to say, I rode a horse this weekend. It was my birthday this week. And my wife got me a, a bug zapper and then she took me on a trail ride. I really enjoyed it. I might do sex stuff with Elon for a horse. They're very expensive. He says that he didn't do it. And now he's he's basically claiming that this is because he said that he's going to be a Republican now. The timing doesn't work out. They reached out to him for comment before he tweeted this thing about I'm a Republican now and they're going to unleash their dirty tricks on me. So he knew that this piece was coming. And then he says, now they're going to unleash their dirty tricks. The timing just doesn't work out there at all. Ugh. Yeah, it's it's very it's this very conspiratorial worldview, and um, he's such a crazy, erratic person on Twitter. I think he just has there's like a level above fuck you money, where if you have certain personality flaws, those flaws will be you know magnified till they take up the entire sky. And I think that's where he's at. He just he can do whatever he wants, and you know when Bill Gates can do whatever he wants, it's not he's not gonna go crazy because he's just saner. But Elon Musk is not someone who should have this much money. You should give it to us. Did you read the Did you read the piece about him exposing himself on the airplane? 
I did not. It's weird because it's not – they don't get comment from the alleged victim. It's her friend. So it's like her friend is telling the story to Business Insider. And there was a payoff. So Tesla did – or I don't know if it was Tesla or Elon – himself. But this woman, the alleged victim, did get $250,000. That doesn't necessarily mean that this actually happened. But this piece is not like the the woman who the alleged victim doesn't comment at all. It's just her friend saying like, this is what happened. Very weird. Okay. But if they confirm the payoff and the woman's friend described it, I think that's re- repertorially kosher. It is weird to not get the victim. You should read it. Yeah, it's it's weird. It. You should read it. Um, it sounds very sexual. <laughs> Make sure you don't read it in public. Do we have anything else to say about Elon Musk? He's really but like, carved out a place as Twitter's main character, not just for a day or two, but for weeks on end. I'm fucking sick of Elon. How can you be sick of him? He's a, he's a hardworking immigrant striver. I want, he's African-American. I want to go back to, to Joe Rogan being the character of the day. That was more fun. That was more fun. In part because Joe, Joe whatever you think about Joe Rogan, he would not... Well, this makes him a worse character of the day. Joe Rogan would never have like a multi-day Twitter meltdown where he yells at everyone and like claims there's a conspiracy against him. He's just not that on Twitter, which makes him not – he's right. not an interesting Twitter character of the day because if you're – He doesn't respond. Yeah. If you're the focus of, of a Twitter pylon, the last thing you want to do is respond and acknowledge it because then you'll just get sucked into it for days and days like through the machine. Yeah. If you're the subject of a Twitter pylon, you should just tweet about completely unrelated shit. Just and this is this is like actual advice that I got when I after I wrote my detransition piece. Um, someone who has been in this position before said, "What you need to do is like start putting out new content immediately that's unrelated because people smell blood in the water. And if you if you like focus on this, if you even commented on it at all, like they're just gonna it's just gonna get worse. So what you need to do is just post a bunch of pictures of your dog during one of the the most recent insane blowups. I think it was about uh, the Texas Greg Abbott trans stuff, which you know I was responsible for. Um, I it was insane. This this was the day uh, everyone was telling me to kill myself, and I did just like tweet about basketball or something. One of the psychos who was mad at me they replied with like basically saying like I'm not allowed to tweet about other stuff anymore. <laughs> they're just going to keep bringing this up. It was so crazy, but people get very obsessive. But yes, you should not. Re- I w- I would say I don't. I think you should just log off Twitter for 24 hours when that happens. If you tweet about other stuff, you're creating other tweets for them to latch onto and and dunk on you and stuff. But I can see both strategies. Just mute your notifications and keep doing whatever you want. Elon Musk, come on, block your report. Okay, housekeeping? Housekeeping. Most important housekeeping is we'll be at Heterodox Academy Conference 2022 in Denver this June. Mere, can we say weeks away yet? Let's see. One, two, yeah, three weeks. Oh, God. Why, Why? oh, God? Because we're not ready it's for it, Jesse. We're completely on track. What are you doing? This oh is God. the promo. We're so not ready. Okay. This is the promo. Okay. We're completely ready. Guys, we have such a good show planned. Let's just do performance art instead of doing a show. Finger Group group finger painting? Bring your piano and uh, and you can do your rap. Why don't we just, you know what would be the most Andy Kaufman-esque gonzo thing is um they introduce us and they we just play catch for 90 minutes on stage. <laughs> Without acknowledging the audience or saying a word. We'll be at Heterodox Academy Conference 2022 in Denver this June recording a live podcast episode. For those who haven't heard it, Heterodox Academy does a lot of work in the higher education space to increase viewpoint diversity, open inquiry, and constructive disagreement on campuses. If you'd like to attend our live show, you can register for the conference at hxaconference.org. They have some great speakers lined up, including Jonathan Haidt, John McWhorter, Glenn Lowry, and other leading thinkers in the higher ed space. We're very excited to be doing a live show there on June 12th, so come see us. hxaconference.org. 
BarPod listeners get $25 off the registration fee by entering the code BarPod. Thank you to Heterodox Academy for hosting us. We'll see you there. See you there. It's going to be really fun. I hope so. What do you mean you hope so? It's going to be awesome. I hope so. I do hope it is. You just don't You just don't like like doing stuff. That's your problem. <sighs> I mean, I can't really argue with that. <laughs> what else? What You do the rest of housekeeping. Do stuff. We have a subscription plan. If you go to blockedandreported.org for just $5 a month, you can get three extra episodes of this podcast every month. We have some good ones coming up. The next one is going to be about a disgusting controversy in griper lands. If this doesn't make any sense to you, join us, blockedandreported.org. What else? Uh, Reddit. Our subreddit is blockedandreported.reddit.com. Um we no longer have merch. Maybe someday we'll bring back merch. But if you own merch, it's a collector item. Mm-hmm. Anything else? You can email us at blockedandreportedpodcast at gmail.com. Hey, before we get to the sad stuff, can I do a quick shout out to uh, Tom? Yeah, who's Tom? So I'm recording this. I'm at my uh, grad school reunions and I'm staying in uh, basically a dorm. And me and my girlfriend have a room and then there's a bathroom that's accessible by someone on the other side. Do you have bunk beds? We don't have bunk beds. We very cutely, we have two single beds in adjoining rooms that we push them together because we couldn't bear to be that far apart for a few hours. Does she know that you push the beds together or do you just wait until she falls asleep and then you push them together? Yeah, I wait till she falls asleep in the other room. So for religious reasons, we can't sleep in the same room. So I wait till she falls asleep and I slowly inch her bed over the course of five hours. Like I need to do it. I don't want to wake her up. And then she wakes up next to me and she starts screaming about how Jesus is going to kill her. Well, Jesse, what the fuck? Jesus is going to kill me. And then you, as a Jew, say Jesus is already dead. I already killed already Jesus. Killed Don't worry. I took I, I took care of it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was, We're uh, getting letters for this one. <laughs> when, I, when I was getting settled in before my girlfriend got here, um, yeah, we share a bathroom with someone on the other side. And it's um, just a nice middle-aged guy named Tom. So I just want to shout out to Tom. And I hope uh, we are good bathroom mates for the next couple days. God, sharing a bathroom with you sounds like a nightmare. Uh, okay. Well, on that fun note, should we move on to the horrific racist mass shooting? Yes, there was a horrific mass shooting in Buffalo. You're all aware of it. And immediately afterwards, as always happens, this is my, I like have like not been on Twitter very much since this happened, in part because I find the ghoulishness of post-tragedy Twitter to be almost unbearable. And I say this as somebody- it's hard to swallow. It, it is. I say this as somebody who is very difficult to offend. But if your first instinct after a tragedy is to use the opportunity to dunk on your political opponents, there's something deeply broken about you. And this happens. Everybody fucking does it. Everybody does it. This immediately, like, we need to assign blame to the people that we hate. And there's this, like, race to dig into this person's past and find out, are they left? Are they right? Are they left? Are they right? And it's really fucking gross. It'll never stop, though. If George W. Bush hadn't cut taxes the way he had, this never would have happened. What does this have to do? (laughs) Okay, I got it. Took me a second, but I got it. (laughs) All the good jokes take a few seconds to get. Uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I also like it is weird on a podcast about internet bullshit to. I guess our stance is always like, you know. What can we say to something like this other than that is completely horrific, which it obviously is. It shouldn't need to be said, but we we do think it's interesting to see how people use stuff like this online to, you know, fight uh, pre-existing battles or pursue their enemies and all that. So that's what we're going to focus on. Um, Deshi, did you read the Shooter's Manifesto? I read a chunk of it. My understanding is like large swaths of it were basically copy and pasted plagiarized from another evil white uh, racist. 
Yeah, um, I actually didn't know that. I, I, I guess I'm not. Uh, I'm not up on my racist white nationalist manifestos. I read. I like didn't read the whole thing, but I read large chunks of it, and I scrolled through the whole thing. I bought the Cliff's Notes. It was weird. Those yeah. were available so quick. It's a lot of memes. Like pages and pages and pages of memes, some of which you have probably seen if you're anywhere on the internet. Um, and then some of it is, is like very boring. It sort of like specs on the weapons that he used. I guess this is potentially somebody could potentially use this as a blueprint or whatever, but that part was extremely boring. And then in the beginning, it's sort of this extended FAQ with questions like, why did you target these people? What's wrong with the Jews, etc.? And and some of it is just is just stupid. Like he like he he, he talks about his Myers Briggs score, his Myers Briggs result. He's an INTJ, so all the INTJs out here take note. And it's incredibly illogical. Like he his whole motivation is that he thinks that He's, he's, he's like a proponent of, of mass segregation. So he thinks that North America, that the US, this is, a, this is a white country, and that everybody besides white people are invaders. And it's, it's really illogical. Like he, the reason that he says that he tar- targeted black people is because he calls them invaders. That doesn't make any sense. There's not, a, I assume that there's not a huge proportion of African immigrants in Buffalo. The people he killed were more likely actual descendants of slaves you cannot call them invaders it's more likely that you know they were probably on this continent before his people were so it's really really illogical well i don't i, I don't I, i'm like i'm i'm genuinely torn on how to um handle this I, I don't like i barely want to quote from it he basically says i realized all black people are replacers just by existing in white yeah. countries so he's 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 such a crazed racist that i think logic is sort of beyond the point for him and i so much of this is just microwaved um bullshit right down to like race and iq stuff it's mm-hmm. just endless talk of replacement um there's a lot of to- like a talk about iq but he's an idiot <laughs> like it's very clear from the writing that there's an idiot. Yes, he doesn't know. He doesn't know what he's I, that, and that might have been copy pasted stuff because I, I we we don't know exactly what was copy paste. He, you know, he's the truth about race. This meme with like it's 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 a slog. Um, he obviously doesn't know anything about the genetic stuff he's posting. I, to me, the only part of this that could potentially have not not merit in a moral sense, but in a preventing this in the future sense, is like he does talk about the role of um. Places like 4chan. I started browsing 4chan in May 2020 after extreme boredom. Remember, this was during COVID. And he just he does claim to have been radicalized in this very specific way that, to me, makes sense to me. Because my argument is always, you know, it's, it's a certain sort of broken person who is drawn to any radical ideology. And I think it can be as simple as, like, wanting meaning or wanting community. And in this case, it had just horrific uh, consequences. But, I mean, was there any, like... I, again, I didn't read the whole thing. It's 180 pages. I, I I just didn't have it in me. I think the only one I've read in full was Elliot Rogers, which was just fucking dark, man. Like, these people are crazy. So anyway, this was mostly copy and pasted. Did you think, did you learn anything from reading it? That he had any good points? Yes, yes I, I did. I did. Okay, here's one one part. 
Are you an anti-Semite? This is in all caps. Yes. I wish all Jews to hell. Go back to hell where you came from, demon. But in reality, a Jew confined to Judea where he can't spread his people or beliefs is of no concern to me. It's important to note that- Wait, can't spread his what? His people or beliefs. Oh. He can't spread his people or beliefs in Judea. Okay. Yeah. It's important to note that with proper connection to the internet, that is impossible. I agree with this. Jews off the internet, specifically Jesse Sandler. <laughs> I'll take that under advisement. No, did you, like, did, what? Because the whole, oh God, I just scrolled randomly and of course there's an anti-Semitic meme. The the debate is- oh, There's not one. There's like hundreds of anti-Semitic memes. He is more, he, he honestly seems to hate Jews more than he does black people. Let's do a search for black versus Jew. Jew, 106, black- 96. Well, yeah. and there's a section called About Blacks. So do, should we? There's also a section called About Jews, I believe. The elite, the 1%, the bankers, the cat. Yeah. What should we be like? What is, um, what should our stance be on a, are you, are you fully free speechy that the, the outlets should not censor access to this, which some are doing? Do you think there's any value in reading it? I, I this yeah. thing is sort of melting my brain. I do think there's value in reading it because you get a glimpse into this guy's brain. Graham Wood wrote about this at The Atlantic. Here's a quote. Reading that this manifesto is unlikely to convert anyone to its cause. The experience would be uncomfortable and unpleasant to anyone but a hardened, violent racist. And I agree with him. I it's in, like the, there's no logic here. It's not well thought out. He's not. It's not like where you read it and you go, hmm, I would never actually say this, but he's making a good point. Like no, this is completely illogical. It's stupid. It's just abjectly racist. I don't think people are going to read this and say, yeah, good point. I did learn one other thing. Jesse, did did you know that Jews have flat feet? I'd never heard that. One time uh, I worked for an ambulance company and a very stereotypical white ethnic Bostonian explained to me that the we- the reason black people aren't good at hockey is because they're known to have weak ankles. So <laughs> this sounds very similar to that. Oh, I thought it was because they uh, are allergic to cold. <laughs> they're allergic to cold. Uh Dude, these memes are really dark. I also learned that modern uh, libertarianism is pioneered by the Jews, as was transgenderism. Did you know that, Jesse? That's the meme I'm on, is modern American libertarianism was largely pioneered by Jews. Dude, anti-Semitism is really bad. That's my stance. Yeah, so the discourse around this was predictably terrible. There was immediately a quite a, uh, seems like not coordinated, I'm sure this was organic, but just this impulse to blame Tucker Carlson, which I found interesting because Tucker Carlson was not named in this dude's manifesto. I have no idea if he watches Tucker Carlson or has ever watched Tucker Carlson. And he says... He was influenced by 4chan, Reddit, worldtruthvideos.website. Do you, have you ever been there? Worldtruthvideos.website? Huge. I'm the, I'm the editor. It's a great site. Dailyarchives.org, which seems, I would guess that would be like a librarian website. And the Daily mm-hmm. Stormer. Um, and then he also names the New Zealand mosque shooter. So he's very specific about what he, about who is influencing him. And yet there was, and he does not say Tucker Carlson. And yet there was just this like, I mean, how many pieces did you see that blamed Tucker Carlson specifically about this? There were a lot. And uh, yeah, I mean, so he was not, there were a million places to get this stuff other than Tucker Carlson. And I think Carlson's version of it is slightly gentler. I I actually don't think so. You don't think what? Okay. So when Tucker Carlson talks about the great replacement, he's talking, here's a, here's a quote from him. He says that liberals are, quote, trying to replace the current electorate with new, more obedient voters from the third world. If you read this idiotic manifesto, 
He's not saying that this is a that increasing immigration and lowering white birth rates are a liberal or a democratic conspiracy to bring in democratic voters, which by the way is flawed thinking because if you look at trends, Hispanics in particular are moving more conservative. Well no, but but he said he's but he specifically blames the elites for causing this. He does call it a conspiracy. No, he's but he he doesn't say anything about liberals or democrats in this. This is what Tucker says. Tucker- he says the Jews Okay, so Tucker says it's liberals. Liberal. Yes, yeah, so this is a democratic, a democrat. Like he's blaming the party. He is saying Democrats are bringing people in, bringing immigrants in to have more Democratic voters. The demographic change is in order to have more Democrats in the country. This guy doesn't doesn't have that part of the conspiracy. So I don't think that. that so people blaming Tucker for this. If he's getting these views from Tucker, he's not even absorbing the correct message that Tucker is is professing. I don't actually think Tucker is... I don't think this guy was exposed to Tucker. I think he wasn't even reading any... Consuming anything as quote-unquote sophisticated as Tucker. I will say, in the section where the shooter says, was there a particular event or reason you decided to commit a violent attack? Here's a direct line. Uh, after browsing all these shitty websites, there I learned through infographics, shit posts, and memes that the white race is dying out, that blacks are disproportionately killing whites, that the average black blah blah blah, and that Jews and that Jews and the elite were behind this. So he I, he has bought into the conspiracy mm-hmm. that Jews and the elites are behind this. So I just think it, it's slicing. But that's what I'm saying though. Tucker is not saying it's Jews. He's saying it's Democrats. <laughs> I mean, Jews and the elite versus Democrats as the person being blamed. It's just slicing the salami sort of thin to prevent pretend these are completely different theories. I think they're related, but I just... Wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. Jews, are, Jews started libertarianism. I read that in the manifesto. Uh, I forgot about that. Right. Uh, I think the... I just... I happen to think they're based... They're just like very slightly different cousins of the same theory, but I think it's it's still the case that this guy didn't get it from Tucker because this shit is just in the water on the internet. It's it's horrible, but it's everywhere. Well, and then there were other hot takes like Talia Lavin and in uh, Rolling Stone blamed Abigail Schreier. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of fucking sense because Abigail Schreier doesn't want youth transition. Uh, this guy, I mean, that that's that's just grotesque ridiculousness of Lavin, who is it's insane. Anyone views her as an expert on right wing extremism, but in that case, there's just there's just literally no. But she did write a book. I know she wrote a book. Yeah, she's very very accurate. But in that case, there's literally no connection. She's just literally like going down her enemies list. She doesn't like Abigail Schreier, so she's going to write in Rolling Stone and Rolling Stones incompetent editors will not ask any follow-up questions that this is Schreier's fault. That is a ridiculous claim. With the Tucker thing, I think it's clear he, again, he wasn't inspired personally by Tucker, but it's the same theory. Glenn Greenwald's argument is that two people who have the same theory about the world and one of them goes and kills people over it, one doesn't, the latter isn't responsible for the former. That That's fine. I buy that. But I just, I don't know. I just think it is slicing salami thin to pretend Replacement was all over this kid's uh, dumb manifesto. This this was what he believed. Right. No, I mean that's that's clearly true. His 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 politics are racist. This is what he is into. Um, but I just don't think it's fair to say that this is purely Tucker Carlson's fault, which a lot of commentators did when he is telling us who influenced him, and he does not say Tucker Carlson. He says it was fucking memes and Reddit and. 4chan. I think this kid was such a moron that and that he's like he's not sophisticated enough to lie. He almost seems like proud to take off his influences. So I think if Tucker was one of his influences, he would have said it. He would say so. Yeah. Yeah. So Glenn wrote about this. Glenn Glenn it wouldn't be surprised to anybody, but what his stance on this is here's a quote. He says it is virtually impossible to find any ideology on any part of the political spectrum that has not spawned senseless violence and mass murder by adherence. And he has some examples, of course. Most famously, perhaps the guy who shot up that uh, that 
GOP baseball game, was a big fan of Rachel Maddow and Bill Maher. He was a Bernie supporter. He volunteered for Bernie. And very few people said this is Bernie Sanders' fault. At least very few people on the left said this is Bernie Sanders' fault. Yeah. I, I, again, not to wrap myself in the comforting blanket of my as complicated catchphrase. I, I think there's a difference between, obviously, if if you repeat over and over and over that Republicans are monsters, that they're evil, that they're un-American, that they're involved in a conspiracy with Russia, over and over, if you make the discourse sicker and sicker, some crazy person is going to do something about it. I think maybe, to me, it's not quite equivalent because like the replacement theory, saying that white people in the US are being replaced by darker-skinned people is just inherently a theory more likely to promote violence. So I obviously wish Tucker Carlson would think more about that. I don't think the blame can be pinned on him for that. But I just I don't think it's quite an even analogy between like Rachel Maddow hyperventilating a little bit about Russia and Tucker Carlson. Um, I, I was just reading Nick Confessori's uh, reporting on this for The Times. He said like really disgraceful shit about immigrants. Yeah, he had an entire segment about how gypsies shit in the street. I mean, he is... <laughs> Like the dude, yeah, yeah, he believes crazy shit and he repeats stupid lies and he doesn't seem interested in actually getting to truth or nuance or anything at all. This is, this is all obvious if you watch, watch a show. Um, That said, this like immediate impulse to just like pick out this one guy and say, this is his fault. I just don't think it makes sense. We know whose fault it is. This is the fault of the shooter. And he tells us who influenced him. Yeah. I mean, I think they're doing what like activists do, which is this is a a horrible focusing event and they can use it for their goal of trying to um, discredit Carlson or or even get him booted off the air, which would obviously never happen. Because after after he talked about the great replacement like people really flipped out the the anti-defamation league flipped out he lost advertisers but he just he just sort of seems to get stronger because he does have this core group of people who um who really like him and see him as fighting the elites which i think is pretty crazy given how much nick confessor's piece was great like he would he would he was a complete he was an elite and he was against the anti-immigration stuff and then the winds changed and now he's i think he's a complete fraud and phony but he's clearly very effective at what he does what about this i've seen other people argue this that you know uh so tucker calls this these demographic shifts the great replacement it is true that in some places that white birth rates lowering lowering white birth rates and increasing immigration is changing the demographics of particular certain places this is true and if you say this like with a smile versus with a oh fuck you know whites are going to be the minority what do you think about that that just like acknowledging that these demographic shifts are real could also be partly uh you know to blame for this kid adopting these idiotic beliefs and going and shooting up a fucking grocery store I mean, it's a bit like this idea of like the emerging democratic majority has been, you know, part of the idea here is as America gets less white, it'll get more democratic. And some Democrats have celebrated that. And I mean, even talked about how, you know, ch- uh, changes to immigration policy will will benefit Democrats. Um, you know, I, that's America is changing demographically. It's getting less white. I, I'm, I don't know. I like the idea of like a very mixed nation. I, I, I think race is a bad and pernicious thing, and the less salient it is, the better. I just got back from a wedding in Detroit where my my white friend from high school married a Bangladeshi guy. I love that shit. I love everyone mixing together. Like I, I people, not just like signaling here. I generally don't want race to be important, and I think the more people mix, the better. Uh, which makes white nationalists very angry. I, I guess the point is just this is. These demographic shifts are real. I don't think that it's a bad thing like you. I'm in favor of more immigration. I think we need more workers. I think we need more people. 
um, <laughs> for, for many reasons. People have always moved and will always move, and this is just part of being a human. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, if anything, I think problems with immigration, I think they benefit, Im- immigration benefits the US. I think that it is more likely to harm the places where people are fleeing from because of things like brain drain, losing workers, um, stuff like that. But uh, I don't think it's a bad thing. But if you point out these demographics, shifts are real. Is that also not perpetuating this ideology that this kid is is bristling against? I mean, they they are real. I, I don't think, for the most part, I don't think sort of scientific or democratic uh, demographic observations lead directly to bad acts. I think what leads to bad acts is this awful conspiracy theory that there's this grand replacement of white people, which in part depends on the idea that there is, this was the thing the white nationalists got mad at me on um, at Twitter about. Uh, there's there's some American liberal race discourse that's dumb. One thing that is not dumb is the idea of a unified group of people called capital double white that range from like being Scottish to like fucking Italian. That's completely made up. Like there were all these Europe was warring tribes for a long time. It was warring religious groups. And 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 to me, there's this real insecurity on the part of people who derive a lot of identity from their race, which I just think is an unhealthy thing. I really do. I think it's different if your group was, was until fairly recently enslaved and you had to band together just to survive. I understand. But I think in the long run, we should all try to have less racial pride. So I think there's real insecurity on the part of some white people that they're getting replaced. And that's really an unhealthy way of understanding the world. Because like you're saying, there's always been migration. There's always been different labels. People have always intermarried. There's never, there's never been any such thing as like a pure, what, what is a pure white person? Is it, is it Swedish people or Finnish people? I don't, it's a made up ideology that is, it, it, it snookers people and it brings them to a very dark place, I think. It's albino people. Uh, the only real white people are albinos and they're going to replace everybody with their, their wily race. <laughs> You're going to get canceled for that. Uh, I, it's so fucking depressing. It is like the, the this white supremacy and anti-Semitism, these are just eternal conspiracy theories that will never die. And even if we make the world a much better place there will always be outbreaks of this sort of violence it's just it's i don't think you can eradicate it i just i wish we could do a better job of understanding what leads people down to these very dark places and in in much the same way that it's it's a little bit superficial to say that you know someone joins isis just because he's evil or just because there's some unique pull of islam like this this wasn't tucker Carlson's fault. As much of an asshole as he is, what's going on here needs to be understood at the level of individuals seeking meaning and with access to all the worst shit on the internet. And um, yeah, I, I think we should all want to understand exactly why he did what he did. And if you immediately lo- jump to the conclusion that it's because of Abigail Schreier, who you're already mad at, you're you're being a dick and you're part of the problem. It would be interesting in a parallel universe to see if this would have happened if COVID had never happened. I think that's probably an essential point of this i mean the kid says it wouldn't i shouldn't call him the kid i guess people would be mad at he's an adult but uh i i think covid absolutely caught i mean you're sitting online in just these cesspools and you're this kid is dumb or this sorry I, when i say kid i don't mean he doesn't have moral responsibility i mean he's young i the 25 year olds are kids i but um yeah, I, I think it seems unlikely to me that something like this would happen without COVID. Although you never know, maybe he was just a completely broken, fucked up soul, and and something would have sent him over the edge. We're just, you know, we're we're lucky that in a country that really is swimming in the the downsides of free speech, which is people can say shit like this legally, we actually don't have a lot of political violence. We don't. This doesn't. It's horrible when this happens, but we still live in a very safe 
very multicultural country. And, um, you know, we need we need to foster that. Will you talk, Jesse, a little bit about uh, you shared a New York Times article about uh, hate crimes in connection with this? Yeah, I've um, I mean, this goes in part back to how some of the anti supposedly anti-Asian violence was covered. I just think mainstream outlets are doing like a really bad job trying to talk about hate crime statistics, which are inherently fuzzy and bad. But but this Times article basically tried to argue there's been a huge uptick in um in hate crimes against black people, which you know, I, I think it's hard to say, but let me let me just read one part. The federal data shows that in the past decade, hate crimes against black Americans who make up 12.1% of the population have far exceeded those reported against any other group, including biases based on a victim's religion, ethnicity, or sexual orientation. So the number, the raw number and the rate should always be treated separately because they're completely different. Like, you know, there's more white people than any other group. So if more white people die of something, that doesn't necessarily tell you anything. The very next paragraph, the Times says, according to the data, 2,084 instances of anti-black crimes were reported over the past decade. The next largest category in that time period, anti-Jewish crimes, included 7,688 reports, though the Jewish population is only about 2.4% of the U.S. adult population. So as I explained on Twitter, this is an extremely misleading tweet. The rate of hate crimes against Jews is much higher. Like according to this article itself, there are about five times more black people than Jews in the U.S., but only 2.5 times as many hate crimes. Like it's not a competition, but you shouldn't distort data like this. The fact is Jews face a much higher relative risk of being the victim of hate crimes. And I, you know, I just wish people would um, communicate these results with a bit more um, transparency and rigor. Yeah. And people, I mean, there's... The way that the media reports on crimes like this also, I think, gives people a skewed perspective on uh, on how common these are. Just a couple – like, for instance, just a couple of days before the Buffalo shooting, somebody killed three Koreans. They shot up a – I don't know what the business was, but shot up a, some sort of Korean business. The perpetrator was black. And I saw one Alice – Alice from Queens shared a tweet about this. I didn't see it anywhere else. Um, of course, three is smaller than ten. This is by that measure less horrific, but the, just the way that these things catch on when you see a hate crime committed by, or when you see a crime committed by a white person, I think at this point, this has changed in recent years, but at this point, I think that the media is more likely to mention the race of the, of the shooter if the person is white. This is, I think, a correction to many years of reporting on any sort of crime, hate crime or not, and uh, pointing out that the that the perpetrator was black, and this is this is sort of changed. So I think people are getting skewed um, a skewed view on on who is committing these crimes. Not in this case, of course, um, and who victims are. And you see this a lot with the with the anti Asian hate crimes, where a lot of perpetrators were black, and um, that is left out of the reporting. And so I think the casual observer would come to the con- conclusion that. A lot of these hate crimes are committed in the name of white supremacy, which is just no. not true. Well, there, there's – yeah, there's unfortunately some – and also attacks on like Hasidic Jews and like Crown Heights and yeah. stuff where um, – Yeah. But in a lot of – the other complicating factors, a lot of the media uh, – in the New York at least, a lot of the, the supposedly anti-Asian hate crimes appear to be like – just really mentally ill people, totally. random attacks. Often their attack on an Asian person comes at the end of like years of violent attacks on other people. And that's another way, like it, it it's often assumed they're hate crimes when we don't have evidence for that. And it, it also distracts you because like, 
if you're trying to figure out what to do with limited resources, do you do more anti-hate crime education or do you, you know, somehow bolster the city's mental health apparatus? And I think in many cases, not not this one in Buffalo, there's a mental health component that it's weird because on the left, we, we t- like to talk about structural factors and what causes people to engage in violence. You'd think we'd pay attention to the mental health thing, but it's like, no, you need to slot it into an anti-Asian hate crime, even when there's not evidence of that. So the way we talk about all this is just pretty pretty bad and broken right now. But the Buffalo one was like as clear-cut an example you can get of a white-on-black hate crime, very much motivated by a racist ideology. I, I witnessed a hate crime a couple weeks ago. What happened? I was uh, standing on a street and I saw a guy come out of a used sporting goods store and he was being followed by the owner of the store. He was a white guy. They were both white. Um, I have talked to the talked to the owner of the store a couple times. I happen to know that he's married to a woman and the white guy called him um, a faggot and then he called him um, another racial slur. Um, one, <laughs> one normally, I won't say it, but one normally used to refer to a uh, black oh, people so, so he was a straight white guy who was called a inward oh faggot <laughs> you live a very exciting life katie it seemed like a case of mental illness to me but who knows who knows maybe he's just been watching too much tucker carlson <laughs> do, we have, uh, do we have anything else on any of this hopefully we won't have to talk about hate crimes for a while this has been blocked reported as always we're produced with help from tracy woodgrange thank you trace i'm jesse single and remember If Katie Herzog can't prove that 90% of her Twitter followers are real, I am seizing her half of the podcast from her. And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, now that Reply All is dead, somebody should really make a show about the internet.